Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Let us pray. Almighty God, your Son, our Savior, was taken up in glory and intercedes for us at your right hand. Through your living and abiding word, give us hearts to know him and faith to follow where he has gone, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel History according to St. John, as recorded in chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. After Jesus had spoken these things, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, so that your Son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to all those you have given to him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I have glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me at your own side with the glory I had at your side before the world existed. I revealed your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have held on to your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they received them. They learned the truth that I came from you. They believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. All that is mine is yours, and what is yours is mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer going to be in the world, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name, which you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. This is the Gospel history of our Lord. It is the night in which Jesus will be betrayed. He had celebrated the Passover meal. He had washed the disciples' feet. He had instituted the Lord's Supper. Judas has already left the room. Jesus gives some instructions to the 11 apostles that are left there in the room. And there our text begins in which he begins to pray about his own glorification. Now, if you and I were to talk about ourselves being glorified, we would probably talk about showing power and knowledge and prestige and not looking like fools. But when Jesus talks about his glorification, he talks about it coming through his disciples. That would be those who are learning from him. And even though the 11 men are in the room that night, it applies to you. For by faith you are Jesus' disciple. And so, when Jesus prays for his glory, he's actually praying that he be glorified through you. And so, today as we look at Jesus' high priestly prayer, we will ask the question, how do you glorify God? Because too many Christians get confused and they think if they give a big enough offering, if they toot their own horn, if they do enough of their own works, then they're glorifying God. But that's glorifying ourselves, isn't it? Let's jump into the answer to that question, how do you glorify God, by looking at the first answer that comes up in our text in verses 1 through 4. Let me remind you, I will be using my own translation here. It's not as smooth a English as the translation I read at the beginning of the sermon, but there are some subtle nuances I would like to bring out in the Greek language. 
Jesus spoke these words. Those are the words of instructions I've already mentioned. And then he lifted his eyes up towards heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Jesus is praying for his glory so that God would be glorified. God the Father, not just so that Jesus can look around and say, look at how good I look. And then he gets right to how this glory is going to come. He says in verse 2, Inasmuch as you gave him authority over all flesh, so that each and every one that you have given to him, he may give eternal life to them. That's very clunky English, but the inspired Greek language that John uses really points out how each and every one that God has given to him is brought to have eternal life in Christ. This is where Christ's glory comes from every time somebody comes to faith and clings to him. And so we come to faith and glorify him, each and every one of us. Now, when the world talks about eternal life, they have this picture, uh, almost a comedic, cartoonic picture of people floating around in heaven with angel wings playing harps. And they even sarcastically say that heaven is a fairy tale you tell little children so that they can cope with the death of grandma or grandpa or mommy or daddy. That's never the picture scripture gives though at all, is it? Scripture's picture of heaven is being before the throne of God until God makes the new heavens and the new earth and gives you a glorified body and you don't get angels' wings and play harps. That's, that's not even what angels look like according to Scripture. But Jesus here tells us what eternal life is and he states that in verse 3. He says very clearly, now this is eternal life. And what he says that follows is eternal life. So here's what he says. Namely, that they continue intimately knowing you, the only true God, and the one you sent with the commission, specifically Jesus Christ. Knowing the true God. Now, we've got to be careful here because the devil knows the true God. He was an angel that fell. But the devil's knowledge is not the same. And the Greek verb here used is one of an intimate knowledge like a child has with their father, knowing daddy's loving, protecting, providing hands, the ideal father, right? And it doesn't just mean knowing the father. He spells that out. And the one you sent with the commission, specifically Jesus Christ. True God sent true God the Son with the commission of winning eternal life for you. So, and we listen to this text we also see the Holy Spirit, although he's not mentioned, because for you to have that intimate knowledge of God as Father and God as your Savior, you have to have the Holy Spirit in your heart who has given you faith to know that. So eternal life is actually knowing God the Father, God the Son, and having the Holy Spirit living in your heart, hence you know him as well. So it's not floating around in clouds. When you know God as your heavenly Father and God as your Savior and God as the Holy Spirit who's given you faith, then you already have eternal life. So you have eternal life now. Jesus continues, I on my part glorified you upon the earth by completing the work that you have given me to do so that I would do it. God the Father sent God the Son to take on human flesh to keep the law perfectly for you in your place, never sinning once, stand up to all temptation, never falling once, 
Then, so that he could credit you with his righteousness, he also had to suffer the punishment, the eternal punishment for your sins. He did that on the cross. He washed your sin away with his blood, the blood of the God-man, and then he rose victorious. On the cross, way less than 24 hours from the time Jesus is saying this prayer, Jesus is going to cry out the second to the last word on the cross, it is finished. You glorify God and have eternal life when you believe Jesus' word that the work of your salvation is finished. Christians can get confused on this. They can say, well, it's not quite finished because I have to be sorry enough. I have to do enough penance. I have to give enough offering. I have to act holy enough. Now, when you intimately know God as Father, because you know His love and the Savior's love, you're not going to run out to embrace sin. But... When we think we have to be sorry enough and do enough penance for God to forgive us, then we're calling Jesus a liar. When he cried out, it's finished, he meant the work for your salvation is done. So how do you glorify God? You know what eternal life is. When you know Jesus as your Savior, God the Father as your Father, you have that intimate knowledge and you have eternal life. By default, those who reject Jesus as true God, those cults that come along and change what the Godhood is, they don't know what eternal life is because they have rejected Jesus as Savior in one way or the other. But you know it, so how do you glorify God? You know what eternal life is. By knowing what eternal life is, that means you have faith and God has already worked that in you so that He is glorified. Now. I've already mentioned the work of the Holy Spirit is the one who gives you the faith. So we've got to have that knowledge. How do we get this knowledge of eternal life? Verse 5, And now you, O Father, glorify me at your own side with the glory that I was having at your side before the world existed. You often hear me say we have to pay attention to the prepositions. And the preposition that's used here makes it very clear that before Jesus, true God, spoke and said, Let there be light, he was at God the Father's side. In Christianity, a heretic came along named Arius. Arius taught that Jesus was created. To simplify his teaching then that God the Father created Jesus when he was knit in the virgin's womb and then basically adopted him to be his son. It's because of Arius that we have the Nicene Creed. But Jesus' words here make it very clear that he was true God at the side of God the Father before the world even existed. He's true God from true God, very God from very God, as we confess. And so here we get a very clear picture of knowing true God who takes on human flesh in time to save us. And when he took on that human flesh, he didn't let all the glory of his godhood shine through during those roughly 33 years. But when he ascends to heaven again, God the Father is going to give that glory. So as true God, he always has that glory. He becomes man. He hides that glory. We call that his state of humiliation. We see glimpses of it when he does miracles. And then he takes that glory up again after he's risen. We call that his state of exaltation. So true God becomes true man. The glory of his godhood is communicated to his humanity so that the God-man, Jesus Christ, is now once again seated at the right hand of God the the Father, ruling for you in all of his godly glory. He continues, 
I revealed your name to the men that you gave me out of the world. They were belonging to you and you gave them to me and they've kept an eye on your word. You cannot know that Jesus is true God and everything I've just stated unless God comes to you with his word. He sends somebody to you with his word and the Holy Spirit gives you the faith. So here Jesus uses this Greek verb that is one of guarding. When you have something precious, you keep your eyes on it so that you don't lose sight of it. And we translate that as they've kept your word or they've observed your word. What it means, even though they're sinners, and we're going to see there are times that they screw up, like when Jesus gets arrested and they all run and seem to have forgotten that he told them he was going to die for them. Still, their eye is on the word. When one of them screws up, he is willing to be corrected and he corrects it. The Holy Spirit will inspire some of these disciples, like Matthew, also known as Levi, so that you have the inerrant word of God, of Jesus, before you and can confidently cling to it. So to observe, to keep an eye on the word of God means... You are not going to let false teaching come along, nor are you going to fall asleep because you are always got it there. God wants you to regularly be in His Word, which is what you're doing when you hear a sermon, when you study the Word, when you read the Word, when you go to Bible study. You are doing the same thing. You are knowing God's Word. And so he continues in verse 7, Now they have intimately known that all things whatsoever you have given to me are from your side. They could not have that intimate knowledge unless Jesus had shared his word with them and the Holy Spirit had given them the faith to believe in it. Verse 8 says, Because I have given to them the declarations. We usually translate that as word. There's a couple of words the Greek language has for words, but here we can translate it as declarations. We can also translate it as doctrines as the core concepts of what God speaks that he wants us to know. Because I've given to them the declarations that you gave to me. And so they received them and intimately know that I truly went out from your side and they believe that you yourself sent me with a commission. So, the word of God came to them and they know very personally that Jesus is their savior, even though they're going to be confused that very night in just an hour or two. How do you glorify God? The disciples knew God's word, which had revealed to them that Jesus, who is the word, is the Messiah, and they believed it. Jesus is the Christ, the Savior. You get the same thing. So how do you glorify God? You know what eternal life is. To know what eternal life is, you cannot be surrounded by the false teachings of the world around you. You have to know God's word. Next. Jesus prays, I on my part am asking in regards to them. I'm not asking in regards to the world, but in regards to those you have given to me, because they are belonging to you. And everything of mine is yours, and everything of yours is mine, and I have been glorified in them. And so I'm no longer in the world, and yet they on their part keep on being in the world, and I myself am coming to you. Holy Father, Keep an eye on them within the confines of your name, which you have given to me, so that they may continue being one just as we are one. Jesus, in a part of this prayer that's not in our sermon text, will pick up praying for the world. But Jesus' prayer for those who are already members of his flock, they belong to God the Father's flock, therefore Jesus is the good shepherd, they're also his sheep. Jesus makes that very clear. You're different than the world. 
The world has this idea of you look out for number one. And if we are each looking out for number one, taking care of ourselves, you know, we'll look out for our families and stuff like that. But you end up with a very divided world, a world that runs out to embrace things like money, power, prestige, possessions. But you and I have a unity because we are part of the body of Christ. We are sheep in God the Father's flock. We have a vertical relationship, harmony with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. And we have a horizontal unity with each other, for we are the body of Christ. We have a unity that the world does not have. We are foreigners in this world. We are citizens of a different kingdom. When Jesus or us as his disciples pray for the world, the prayer is different than when we pray for those who are members of his body. When we pray for members of his body, it's to keep them in the faith he's given them. For the world, we pray that God would bring them into his body in the truth and purity of his word. But for those who remain stubborn, for those who hear the good news of salvation and insist on rejecting it, then our prayer is, Lord, keep them away from your flock that they do not persecute and damage your flock. So, you and I have to understand that the world, and it's full of false teachings and false teachers like Arius, who I mentioned earlier, are the devil's plan in distracting us, dividing us and separating us from that vertical relationship we have with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you have to know the world. You have to know what you're up against. Jesus ascended. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He's taken back on all the glory of his Godhood. But in this world, he's glorified when you live in the world, but not of the world. He's given you the faith. He's given you the knowledge of his word. And it simply shines through you in your daily life as you cling to it. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Like I said, in an hour or two, he is going to be betrayed by Judas. So he prays for his glory, but it's not a selfish prayer for glory. It's a prayer for you. For when you are brought to eternal life, when you know the word, when you understand how this world operates and how it's trying to separate you from your brothers and sisters in Christ and from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then you bring glory to God. So how do you glorify God? Know what eternal life is, know God's word, and know the world. I don't know if you caught it, but what weaves constantly throughout today's text is the fact that Jesus is true God who became true man, and then his humanity was gifted with the glory of his deity when he rose from the grave. We call that a state of exaltation. So the fourth answer here that actually weaves through the other three is, Know that Jesus is true God who became true man in order to save you. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of sheep, in connection with his blood, which established the eternal testament, may he equip you with every good thing to do his will as he works in us what is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Blessed Jesus, you ascended to the right hand of your Father's majesty, power, and glory, and now reign as eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. We praise you for your victory over sin, death, Satan, and hell.
O Ascended Prophet, equip your church to proclaim the precious gospel message of God's love for all the world. Give courage to our hearts, power to our words, and success to our efforts. O Ascended High Priest, represent us before the Father as his own dear children and heirs. Defend us against Satan's every accusation. Ask for the Father's rich blessings in our everyday lives. Plead for his mercy and grace on our behalf. O Ascended King, direct the affairs of governments and nations that they may serve the best interest of your church. You are our Lord, Master, and King. Gracious Lord, as our community has arrived at the second stage of reopening per the CDC guidelines, we pray that you keep our community safe, especially as we've seen an increase in COVID-19 infections. We pray, Lord, that as our church continues to struggle to figure out a way in which it can reopen and yet remain within those CDC-recommended sanitization and safety guidelines, that you keep our little flock preserved and that you help us share your word to your glory. We also pray, Heavenly Father, that those who have seen a decrease in their income or have become unemployed because of this virus, that you let them see your providing hand and that you are taking care of them through this difficult time. In your Son's name we pray. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. As the disciples lifted their eyes to watch your ascension, so lift our eyes daily to look for your coming again in glory. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.